welcome to this episode of Right There With You. I'm so happy that you're here. It has been just a little bit since my last episode. Um, We took a little bit of a hiatus. And I know that's a funny thing to say because I haven't done too many episodes yet, but the craziness of my life in the last couple months has just been almost impossible to try and record any episodes or get anything ready to post. So I'm so glad that you stuck with me and you're back um, to start another season of... When I say season, I don't mean like a new season. I just mean a next chapter of uh, Right There With You. I have been traveling a ton the last couple months. I've been hopping around to see family, family reunions, nephew's first birthdays, and my best friend got married on the East Coast, and I don't know. I, I, I feel like I have been everywhere, and... The last couple months have just flown by. I know people talk about, you know, how how fast time goes when you're constantly either going to work or you're traveling or you're doing those things. But this has truly been the busiest year of my entire life. And that is such an accurate statement. I, it's, it has been one thing after another from the beginning of the year. And I loved it. I loved I don't want to say every moment of this year, but I loved all of the big moments, all of the traveling that I've done, um, moving and, you know, it's been such a, an amazing year, but it has been a little overwhelming at times. Um, oh, which is a great segue into what we're talking about today. Um, I wanted to approach this episode and I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring someone in as a guest to talk with me about this episode. Um, and may, I probably will down the line. I mean, it, it's a subject that I'm sure I'll talk about with <laughs> most of my guests. Um, but I decided to approach this topic by myself today. And I hope that it, it, it was it was a fun episode for me to do because it it allowed me to share a few things and hopefully you get to know me a little bit better, but it's a very vulnerable episode. We talk about some of the things that I've experienced and gone through um, and hopefully we explore maybe some of why this is happening or why this is such a hot button topic right now. Um, So today we are talking about anxiety and I think within the last I, I, I'm going to safely say within the last five to seven years or so, this has been a topic that is far more mainstream. Everybody's talking about anxiety lately, which is cool. I think we need to talk about these things. We need to talk about mental health because mental health is health. It's just like going to the doctor for your annual checkup. That's, that's how you should, I think that's how you should treat mental health. So I I wanted to talk about this because it's just been everywhere. And and I think if not you, you have someone in your life 100% that suffers from anxiety. But we're going to dive into all of that. But it I hope that you enjoy this episode. This was a really fun one for me. Um and thanks for coming back. Enjoy this episode right there with you. 
All right, we're diving into anxiety. And it's such a hot button word. I feel like we hear more recently, we hear it everywhere. And I feel like there's some confusion about how to classify anxiety. Maybe we talk about even when we talk about our friends or we hear it in the news or things like that, we talk about anxiety at, at like it's almost this blanket term. And there's so many elements to anxiety that I think it gets lost a little bit in, at least for me, when I'm talking to friends or coworkers or even acquaintances, depending on how um, comfortable we are with each other, we say that word, but we don't fully understand what that is. Or we can be kind of classifying a lot of things as anxiety, which I'm glad that we're more comfortable talking about it. But I think it's important for our own health to really understand what anxiety is. There's lots of definitions for anxiety. And I think there's something we kind of confuse. There's, there's anxiety as a trait and there's anxiety as a state. And those get mixed up because it, having anxiety as a trait you're talking about it's a characteristic of you as a person. You have anxiety, whether it be general anxiety disorder, maybe you have panic disorders or social anxiety or whatever that might be. You're describing that as a trait of yours, which means you deal with it maybe not on a daily basis, but weekly or often. It's something that lasts over six months and it's persistent in your life. So, or there's the state anxiety. And state is something that a lot of people have. I would say even more, you could almost venture to say everybody has state anxiety to a certain degree because state anxiety is situational. It's, oh, I am, I'm more prone to an anxiety in a certain situation or a specific trigger gives me anxiety or I, I don't like speaking in front of big crowds. So I get anxiety. I get really, it makes me really anxious. Those are things that are state anxiety. So state anxiety is more temporary. It comes and goes. It's not as persistent. It's not something that you deal with on a day-to-day, -day, a week-to-week -week basis. It's something that comes and goes. Um, and I think a lot of people have that because there are specific things that we're afraid of or specific things that make us anxious. So that's more common, but I think we can kind of confuse those things. Now, for me, I am someone who is a trait anxiety person. It is something that I have been diagnosed with. I take medication for it. I work almost daily on things that make me anxious, which I have become more comfortable talking about. Um, I'm actually very comfortable talking about it now, um, but I wasn't always... And just, just so we can kind of ground ourselves in some facts, I did some research on anxiety and kind of how many people it affects. And this is according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. So these are some stats that they have within the last year. They state in the United States, how many people have anxiety? Females, 23.4% of females have anxiety. Males are at a 14.3% have anxiety. Um, that's 40 million adults in the United States have anxiety. But keep in mind, only half of those people will ever seek professional treatment or help, whether that be going to your 
practitioner and getting medication for it or if you're seeing a therapist, only half of the of these people will actually seek out treatment. That means half of those millions of people suffering from anxiety will just suffer through it. And that makes me so sad. I, there's There's so much help and research out there now about mental health and anxiety, depression, all of it. There's so many resources. So I, I, my hope is as we head down and continue to have these conversations, it will become more not only accessible, but acceptable for people to seek help. Now, when you kind of, when you look at females versus males, which I thought was really, really interesting after reading through um, their research and their stats, this is what's crazy to me. In these four categories, general anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, and any specific phobias, women are two times more likely to have any of those than men. Then as we head into OCD, women are three times more likely than men. And then we head into PTSD, women are five times more likely to experience symptoms and to have these disorders than men. That is mind-blowing to me. I hope that with that many more women, I hope women are more comfortable, not just ladies, of course, men too, but ladies, since we are so much more likely then men, I hope that you're paying attention to some of these early signs. At, since we're talking about kind of our first symptoms, I thought I would share my first real experience with my anxiety and what actually turned into my first big panic attack. Looking back on it, it's kind of, it, I, I learn so much from this story every time I think back about it because there's just so many signs pointing to what happened that night. And at least this is at least this is the first instance that I truly remember that stands out in my mind. So, back in oh gosh, it was 2009, I was at my house getting ready for the homecoming dance. Now, anybody who grows up in the Midwest, I mean everywhere too, but especially the Midwest, you know how important homecoming week is, the homecoming game, and the homecoming dance. It is like the beginning of your year, and it is monumental. Like, if you're in a, a specific size of town, the whole town is involved in homecoming. There's parades, there's different dances, and there's the game, and there's, there's these big events that happen all week leading up to homecoming. So it's a very big deal. It's the first thing of the school year. I think so many people would agree that it's such a rite of passage. So it's the homecoming dance. It's all, it was, for me, it was always on a Saturday. Some people have their homecoming dances after, like right after the homecoming game, which, ugh, I'm so, I, that sounds terrible to me <laughs> to have to like go, because I was also a cheerleader in high school. So I would be cheering the whole game. I would be gross and tired after the homecoming game. And then I'd like, run home and get dressed up and pull myself together to go to a dance. It would just, it, that just sounds terrible. So in my hometown, we had homecoming on the Saturday, the next day. And I was at home. Usually I got ready with my girlfriends at somebody's house, whether it be mine or, or, or someone else in our like close friend group. But I remember we were 
we were having a get together at one of my friend's house, but I was starting to get ready at my house beforehand. Like I put my dress on, I was trying to do some of my makeup and, you know, trying to do my hair and before we were going to take pictures and have dinner and, you know, just finish getting ready with all of my girlfriends. So I was at my house. I had put my dress on. I had already done my makeup, I think. Also, just a quick sidebar. Let's just shout out to the early 2000s through 2010 makeup. Can we just can we just take have like a moment of silence for the makeup that we had at that time? It was like all at least for me and where I grew up, it was all powder makeup. Which, cool, if you like powder, that's great. But I do not. But it was all powder foundation. It was, like, still some sparkly eyeshadow. Lots of eyeliner. There was no doing the eyebrows like we do today. They were just small and they were slender. And just shout out to that time because we thought we were doing so many things right. And I just, oof. I look back at some of those pictures and yikes, that it was so cringe. Anywho, <laughs> I want to move on from that. But so I'd done my makeup and I was doing my hair. Now, my hair, um, anyone who knows me, I have pin straight hair naturally, which is great. It's fine. I can do lots of things with it, sort of. But my hair doesn't really hold curl, truly, if I'm being honest. It really doesn't hold curl well. If it does, it's probably because I have tons of product in my hair, tons of hairspray or gel or something. Especially at that time, there was lots of hairspray happening. And my hair was not curling. It was just, it wouldn't hold anything even with like some hairspray. I had my old like Conair clip hair curler and it just was not doing it. I really started to get frustrated. And I, and I think that's normal. I, would, I think anybody would get frustrated if they were trying to do their hair and it wasn't doing what you wanted to over and over and over again. But this was like this growing weight in my chest. I was like, it, it, it almost it almost felt like I was getting so angry. I was getting so overwhelmed. I, I couldn't see. Like it was affecting my eyesight almost. It was getting blurry. It was, I was shaking. I was starting to get so worked up because my hair just would not do anything. And that sounds, I think, even as I say it out loud, it sounds like such a stupid thing to, my hair wouldn't do what it wanted to do, what I wanted it to do. And it's such a trivial thing. But in that moment, I got so worked up. I was just alone in my room trying to do my hair. I'm, I start sobbing. I'm shaking. I can hardly breathe. I'm having like, I'm, I'm starting to like hyperventilate almost I, that I end up sitting, kind of sitting down, but like crashing to the ground, sitting, setting my curling iron down. I sat down and like fell to my side where I was almost in like a fetal position and I'm hyperventilating. I'm sobbing. I'm almost screaming at this point. And all of a sudden, my mom and my dad obviously hear me and come running up the stairs and open the door and they find me in this fetal position on the ground, just a wreck. And I remember my dad coming in and his reaction, he was so shocked by what he was looking at. He was like, 
he, he couldn't even wrap his head around what was going on. I mean, I, I, I'm sure as a parent, you almost think that they're like, your child is injured or something when you find them in that state. I just remember him saying like, whoa, what is going on? You know, what, what happened? What happened? I even said out loud, like, I can't get my hair to curl. Like, it won't do anything. And I'm like, also hyperventilating at this point. I can barely get words out. At the time, this was such a, a, a an anomaly and people really weren't talking about panic attacks and anxiety like we do now. So my parents, they they hardly had the wherewithal to know what to do other than to, you know, help me get up off the floor, sit down on my bed. You know, my mom was there saying, okay, well, we can do something else with your hair or we can, we can do something like it's not that big of a deal. And now thinking, thinking back about it, of course, my, my parents are probably just as, as anyone would, you know, think, oh, I'm being so ridiculous or I'm being so dramatic at this point. And looking back on it, that was really the first time that I truly had this panic attack and this thing that took over my mind and my body. And it sounds, like I said, it sounds so trivial now, but it was so overwhelming. Now, I will say this, ha this was my first, like I said, really big experience with having a panic attack or having severe anxiety. And it led to me starting to recognize my tendencies to have anxiety throughout the next few years throughout high school. And which is great because it, it allowed me to reflect on what happened. Just a quick side note, my my parents did the most wonderful thing for me while I was in high school. I think I started maybe my sophomore year of high school. They, I think it was weekly. I went and saw a therapist. And it is still to this day the greatest thing that my parents could have ever done for me. I was suffering with anxiety. I come to learn that I was suffering from depression. I had so many things that I had to work through when I was in high school. I don't think I truly would have survived those things if I hadn't been in therapy. So I, I will absolutely be putting my child in therapy, at least in high school, just to have someone to talk to, to work through things, because of course they're not always going to want to talk to their mom or their dad about things. I hope they do. I hope they feel comfortable with myself and my husband. But to have that third party and that person who truly understands why you feel that way as an adolescent or what things you're going through is so important. I absolutely will be putting my children in therapy, even if they hate it, because, oh my gosh, the first time that I went into the therapist's office, I was so angry. I hated that I had to be there. I was so, like, I gave so much attitude to my therapist at the time. And by the end, literally by the end of that first session, I was so comfortable. I was so happy to talk to someone about things and I couldn't wait to go back. It changed my life completely. Anywho, so back to just FYI, I figured out what to do with my hair in classic style of 2009. I poofed the front of my hair. I had it all straightened and pretty and it was fine. And I put a flower in my hair and I called it a day. <laughs> so in the end, it worked out for me. But like I said, that was my first real experience with having a panic attack and with having severe anxiety. 
So something that I think is important to talk about is, you know, like I said, we talk about anxiety and we have kind of this blanket phrase or word that we think of when people talk about that. But it's important to know that anxiety looks different for every single person. And I think as a society, that's kind of hard for us to wrap our head around. I mean, we're so we're so used to things being black and white and it, it's it's safe, it's comfortable, it's it's more it's easier to grasp if something is, oh, okay, I have a broken ankle. It snapped, we're gonna brace it, it's gonna heal, and I'm gonna have a cast. And then in a little while, it's going to heal and I'll get the cast off and I'll move on with my life. It's such a black and white thing. But mental illness and, and anxiety and depression and all of these disorders are not black and white. And I think that's why it's hard for all of us to grasp. And I say that because my anxiety has really taken different forms over the years. And it, it's and that's okay because it happens as we evolve as humans. And I hope that it has evolved because I'm working on it and, you know, I'm finding ways to live my life through having anxiety and depression. But that work is constant. So, for example, I kind of I want to use my own what, it, what what anxiety looks like for me. And, and some things are small and some things are much bigger. And it's it's really interesting to see. I find anxiety takes a couple forms that I notice right away. And there are things that take shape that I notice much later after they're after they've happened or after they've already taken too big of a toll on me. So the first thing is that it's actually been way more recent. I do and it must be this kind of physical response to feeling anxious and I have found that I catch myself holding my breath. And I know that sounds really small and kind of minute, but breath is something that every single person does on the planet and we do it unconsciously, most of us. We do it without thinking about it. It just happens. As we live our life, as we go about our day, we breathe all day long. But I started to notice that all of a sudden I would have to like push air out because I was holding my breath. Just kind of not like holding a full like deep inhale and then hold your breath like you actively do. It was just all of a sudden I stopped inhaling and I stopped exhaling because I was holding that. I was holding that tension there. And then all of a sudden, I had to I had to let it out because I realized that I was holding my breath. But I did. But the initiation of holding my breath, I wasn't aware of. It was just, oh, my God, I'm holding my breath. I need to let it out. It's it's already happened. And I've started to take note of when my body is doing that. And every single time it's because I'm reading something that is stressful or I'm taking on a project at work and I'm thinking about how to plan it out or I'm, th I'm thinking about the rest of my day and all the things that I have to get done. It, it shows up at that point when I'm mentally thinking about those things. My anxiety is literally turning my mental capacity or lack thereof into a physical attribute, which is both like astonishing, but concerning at the same time, because that's obviously, hello, I need to breathe. I need to function. So I, it's not a good thing, but it's something that is helping me realize 
that I'm starting to get anxious about something or I'm having an anxious reaction to something that's happening in my life. So that's kind of one way that's that showed up more recently in my life. Another thing that I have noticed about myself and I really have to give credit where credit is due. I didn't realize that I was doing this until I read about this happening to someone else. So I I really have to give credit to a friend of mine from, gosh, all the way back to middle school. We've been friends since then and we've stayed in touch and she's the most incredible person and she's going to be on the podcast and I'm so excited. But she posted about this years ago about her own anxiety and things that she was going through. And something that she called out was this physical manifestation of her anxiety. She had literally taken pictures of her room before and after. She did a before and after comparison of her room when it was really messy and when it was all tidy. And she called out the fact that she lets her anxiety take over her life in an unconscious way. And because she let her room get so messy over time, clothes on the floor, you know, stuff organized, not organized, not in drawers, you know, where it's supposed to be, the bed's not made, you know, there's things everywhere. And that was the physical manifestation of her anxiety because she felt out of control. So she let the world around her get out of control. And I had this huge aha moment because I read it. I read her post and I went, oh my God, I do that. I, when things get out of control in my life, my room directly reflects how my life is going at the time. Same thing with my car. I'll let my car go and like have things in the back seat and, you know, wrappers or receipts or something in my, in my door of my car and things get messy. So it has truly been such a wonderful, I'm so happy, happy that she posted it. She is an amazing human being. And I'm sure I'll talk to her about that when I have her on the podcast. And because she posted that, I recognized it in myself. So there's another piece to this story. So I let my room get chaotic and messy and things are all over the place when I feel like my life is that way. Then I have this complete turn and I go, whoa, I notice how messy everything is. I notice how out of control my life is at the moment or how stressed I am right now. I need to clean things up. I need both literally and metaphorically. So what happens is I get into this manic state of having to clean my room, clean my entire house. I need to get organized. I need to write out all my bills. I need to organize the week ahead of me. I need to meal prep, you know, and I overcompensate and I get in this manic state of cleaning and organizing. And that part isn't healthy either because I'm what I'm really doing is I'm putting a bandaid on the problem in front of me and it will never get resolved if I don't start making a conscious effort to be organized, to control the stress in my life, or to pick up things as I go in my room or my car so it doesn't become overwhelming. Because a messy room overwhelms me, which is hilarious because I let it get to that point and then I get super overwhelmed with it and then I manically clean everything. Like that is the cycle of my life, both mentally and physically. So it was such a crazy aha moment when I read her post and I was like, 
wow, this is exactly what I do. And it's such a great reminder. I still fall into that cycle. I still follow those patterns, but at least I've been able to recognize it a little bit better. And I can make decisions before I get to that point. And I can make myself more organized before I get to that point of just pure chaos. So that was really, that's a really big one that I have carried through years of work through my anxiety and depression. That's been a really, really monumental discovery of mine. And the other thing that kind of goes along with my anxiety is, and and I, I wish that I was able to explain what it felt like in a, a better, but, and I think that's what everybody wants. Anyone who's suffering from a mental illness, they, I promise you, they wish they could explain what was happening. I mean, you can kind of generally explain, I have anxiety, I get panic attacks, but it's incredibly hard to articulate exactly what it feels like to feel out of control or to feel like your anxiety is taking over. I've heard some really good explanations in my, you know, in all the books that I've read and in the therapy. And one of actually my favorite examples is, is of course, by the queen herself, Brene Brown. I'm obsessed with her. If you know me at all, you know how much I love her. But she, in her book, Atlas of the Heart, which I love, everyone should go and buy it. I love that book so much because she talks about all the different emotions that humans feel. So she talks about anxiety and she talks about depression and, and everything, but she talks about a really great example of what anxiety is. And I think it's such a good example. So think back to the iconic Willy Wonka movie with Gene Wilder. I wish I could tell you the year it was made, but I don't know off the top of my head. So think back to that movie and there's a there's a scene where they all get into this boat and they drive down the little chocolate river that's there. And it ends up turning into this like horrifying roller coaster of a boat ride. And there's all these images flashing on the screen. So Gene Wilder goes on this monologue while they're riding on the boat. And he's saying things like, there's no way of knowing which direction we are going. There's no knowing where we're rowing, which way the river's flowing. It's raining, it's snowing. No speck of light is showing. The danger is growing. Like all of, and it, the whole scene builds and builds. And it's terrifying. As a child, I was super terrified by this scene because there's pictures being displayed on of like a centipede and all this stuff. And he just keeps going round and round in this monologue. And it is that's the example Brene Brown uses of what anxiety feels like. And I think it's such a good example because that is truly what it feels like. It There's these racing thoughts. It's almost like, and I'm speaking from my own experience, this is you know what anxiety feels like to me. It feels like I have 1,000 thoughts in my head and they're all projected out in front of me, but I can't grab a hold of any of them. They're just, they're sporadic and frantic and it's, it's awful. You feel like you can't grip onto anything and you feel this out of control kind of manic state. At least this is for me. I shouldn't say you. This is for me. I feel that way. I feel manic. I feel like I can't control what's happening around me. And sometimes my own I can't control my own reaction to things. I get upset or I feel like I have to sit down. Otherwise, 
you know, the room's going to be spinning around me. Those are the types of feelings that come along with my anxiety. And I think what makes it frustrating is when you are in that state, you are truly on your own. And it's heartbreaking to say that because I have such wonderful people around me. I have a wonderful man by my side who respects where I am in my mental health progression. He wants to be there for me. I have family members who are so compassionate when it comes to my own anxiety and depression and all of that. But when you're in the eye of the storm, when you're in the middle of it, it is so overpowering how alone you feel. It's a terrible feeling. And there's things that I do personally that help me, you know, that help me stay away from that extreme point. Because that's the other thing. Anxiety has levels. It has that like extreme point where you're just about to break. And I keep saying you, I'm sorry. This is, this is me speaking of my own experience. I have that beyond point of, I cannot handle this. This is too much for me. But there's also other levels in between that too, before I get to that point. And so when what helps me the most is being able to identify those small signs or those early signs and to also be preventative. I think that is so important because it's easy to just let things happen to you and let yourself, you know, be how you are and just say, well, this is the way it is and I'm not going to do anything about it. There are things that I do that help me personally. There's a million things and you should do whatever works for you. But things that I do is I work out. I ho- I try to work out every- once a day uh, if I can, if not a few times a week. And that is so beneficial, not only for my own you know physical goals, my own physical body health, but for my mental health. It is so beyond valuable for me to clear my head, to have all that serotonin pumping through me and a adrenaline. It's just, it's so beneficial. I also write a lot. I do intentional writing, but I also let myself just kind of dump as well. That's really cathartic and it's really, it it helps me kind of navigate through whatever I'm thinking at the time. So beneficial, especially, and to go back and read those entries, I actually really have found some value in going back to read them because I, I see patterns or I see things that I can work on once I'm removed from that initial moment of of writing everything. I have to get outside. I know that's kind of that's kind of like a small thing for a lot of people, but I can't spend an entire day inside my apartment. It's it really affects my mental health. It really, really changes my mood completely. I have to get some sun. I have to get some fresh air and have to move out of my four walls. So every day I know and and Keegan and I have this we Keegan and I are opposite in this respect because he could absolutely spend 48 hours inside with all the blinds shut like in living in a cave and doing watching movies and playing video games and all those things. But I truly cannot. It really gets to me. Again, he can remind me of like, hey, we should go for a walk or like we should take Lucy outside and go for a long walk and get some sun and some fresh air. You know, he's really good about getting me out of here because it can set in really quick and it, it, it affects me a lot. So I've talked about my anxiety, but and kind of briefly mentioned 
depression as well. But they're really two different things. They go hand in hand a lot of the time. In fact, actually, according to the National Alliance of Mental Illness, depression, people with diagnosed anxiety, 60% of those people also have depression. 60%. That's wild. And we still don't fully know you know, why they're so often paired or why they kind of go hand in hand. There's a few theories. One of them is just that the conditions have similar like biological mechanisms in the brain. So they show up together a lot. Um, but the other piece is that many of the symptoms, you know, overlap. So, you know, if you're if you're talking about anxiety, they have similar symptoms of depression and vice versa. So they can really be they can meet the same criteria so they can really be intertwined. But the thing about depression, it can take, again, a lot of forms, at least in myself. I really wish that there were better ways to describe depression. Again, you just kind of want to be able to articulate it to people. And I have a hard time, especially when I'm trying to articulate it like to Keegan or something when I'm having that hard day. And I guess the best way for me to describe it is almost like take like a weighted blanket, which I love, by the way, love me a good weighted blanket and throw it over your shoulders. Actually, no, throw it like all the way over your head and make sure it's like touching every part of your body. Now live your life. Now go about your day with that just attached to you at all times. It just makes everything 10 times harder. Even if you can manage to get up and accomplish anything during your day, it's, it can be so debilitating. And I think what makes me the most frustrated to not be dealing with it. That's the, that's the frustrating piece is when, when I'm suffering from a really bad day of depression, it's like I consciously know that I hate that I'm feeling this way. Like if I could just do something, if I could like turn a switch or if I could turn it off, God, I would. But it doesn't happen. You can't, it's so hard to pull yourself out of that mode. And I'm going to tell a personal story and I hope that Keegan doesn't get upset that I told this story. So I'm going to use a personal example. So this was a little while back. I was having a rough day and I could feel it. I got up. I like started kind of getting ready for the day and I just knew like it was just heavy on me and I knew it was going to be a really rough day. But it was our day off. We, we had errands we wanted to run. We went and got our car washed and we went to the grocery store and we hadn't really talked about it. We kind of, we had talked a little bit just kind of in passing as we were both getting ready for the day, as we headed to go get our car wash, but we, as we headed to the grocery store and it was really, we got to the grocery store and we're walking around. I'm staying pretty quiet. I am, you know, grabbing things. I'm not responding very much to him. If I am, it's just like a few words or just, just very brief. And we got to the point where Keegan finally said, okay, what is going on? Are you upset about something? you know, did I do something that's upsetting you? I feel like I'm really trying to have a good day with you out and I just feel like you don't want to be here. And it was so heartbreaking because I knew, I mean, I know how I'm acting. I can tell how quiet I'm being. I can tell how short I'm being with him. I hate that I'm acting that way, but it's just... I, 
I can't do anything else. And it was it was heartbreaking to hear him say that it, it seems it seemed like I didn't want that I don't even care about being here or that I don't even want to be out with him. And the reason that was so hard for me to hear was because I was trying so hard. And that's the thing. When you have depression, even functioning can be so much effort. Even getting up and putting your clothes on and going to the grocery store is it takes everything in you to be able to do that and to show up. So to hear him say, I feel like you don't want to be here when, God, I'm trying so hard to be there. Or I'm working so hard at being present. And that's what was heartbreaking for me. And we, we had a long talk about it. And it's still hard for me to kind of articulate, like I said, and I, I told him I, I'm trying so hard. I'm, I'm sorry that I I'm feeling this way right now. I'm working. I'm I'm putting in so much effort right now. I I promise. And it, it brought me back to this for all of you who know me well. You know how much I love my girl Taylor Swift. Obviously, everybody knows that if you know me. But she did this film where she talked about all of the songs on one of her newest albums. And there's a song on there that's called This Is Me Trying. And she talks about kind of what this song is about beforehand. And it's so beautiful the way she talks about how hard it is sometimes to even just show up or even to get it, how, how much effort it takes to get to a point that other people think is not good enough. How much effort it takes just to get to that point. It's exhausting. And that is trying. That is us trying to work through this horrible disease and this horrible challenge that we have in front of ourselves. And it's such a good, if, if you have not listened to it, go listen to her song, This Is Me Trying from Folklore. Just do yourself a favor and go listen to it. But it's really, really true because some people don't understand someone who's quiet or someone who maybe isn't as social. It could be that they're just really trying just to show up that day and that is enough i can't i can't stress how enough that is and be you know people work through these problems every single day whether it be depression anxiety a drinking problem a gambling problem panic attacks ptsd all of these things that are a constant battle every single day some days are better than others but no one's sitting there you know, patting you on the back and saying good job every single day for showing up. And I think that's really where we need to have a little bit more grace for everybody around us. We are trying so hard. I am trying so hard just to show up and be here and to function like everybody else in the world. And I applaud you for showing up, for trying, because it's huge. So what I also want from this conversation is is really, I just want us to keep talking about these things. I know if it's not you, you have someone in your life who has some struggles that they're working through. Maybe they're not diagnosed with anything. Maybe they are. Maybe they just got diagnosed or they've been dealing with this for years and years. I just want us to keep having these conversations and make them normal. Make mental health just part of health and part of how I take care of myself is giving myself some grace that I'm really trying and that I'm making a conscious effort 
to work on these things because that's all we can do. We show up every day and we work on these things. If we can consciously say, I'm working on these things, I hope, I hope, I hope that you have someone in your life. And if you don't, I am here to say that I am right there with you. Thank you.